Our rainforest insights come in all shapes and sizes, and this particular Daintree insight is about a jet-setting mob of animals who live half of the year overseas, then fly back to the far north of Australia to lead a very noisy, very extroverted life here in the warmer and wetter months of the year. They must talk about their travels and life's travails a lot because their community is a constant buzz with incessant chattering and starving kids yelling out, begging for food, frenetic comings and goings and a noise level a bit like a busy city street. And with those bulging red eyes, they're quite startling as well. We're not talking about Homo sapiens, of course, but birds, the ultimate party birds, a colony of metallic starlings. Unfortunately, not all Dane tree visitors get to meet them. They usually leave our area around March when their food supply here is getting low. Then when those trade winds blow in from the southeast, they decide to hitch a free wind-assisted flight back up to New Guinea. They'll all fly back here again in September, along with a compelling need to breed. However, as any human high flyer knows, flying is a demanding and energy-sapping business, and your wings and arms get tired. So when the starlings return, their first priority is to gorge themselves on rainforest food. Once they've stocked up, it's time for house building and family matters. They usually return to the same tall trees the year before. They check out any surviving nests and either trash those or renovate the remains. More often they'll just build new nests. Sometimes they'll go out on a raiding party to tear apart and rob material from another bird's nest just to use in their own. Which could make them lazy party animals, but not really. They're more opportunistic and desperate to get that family going. With their hunger and house issues all sorted, the starlings can then focus on breeding. So within a few weeks, a whole mob of pale-chested youngsters have joined the party. The starlings will have two or three clutches sometimes in the one season. Overcrowding? No problem. They just simply build new nests to cope with the growing family. And all this hard work can make for big colonies of up to 200 birds or so in what must be the bird world's scruffiest nest system. Um, while they do make a few single nests, more often they'll build clumps or chambers of up to 10 scattered randomly throughout the tree. They look like they've been thrown together rather than constructed. This strange nest architecture compares poorly with most other birds. For example, our little yellow sunbird has a tidy, pendulous, teardrop-shaped nest with a cute little awning near the top. And our black butcher bird's nest is not as ornate, but at least it has a crude circular symmetry of woven twigs and fibre. When you're near the colony, you'll hear and see a busy commotion of noise and activity with those hungry chicks yelling out and demanding food while the adults are frenetically multitasking, uh, foraging, feeding, socialising. And the metallics are always on the move. From time to time, a chattering adult will swoop out of a tree immediately followed by an enthusiastic flock of teenagers. Then they'll do a noisy circuit, wheel around and return to the colony. These typical short flights happen again and again throughout the day and are definitely the big head-turner for tourists and locals. It genuinely looks like they're having fun, but there's a much more serious intent, like gaining strength, 
learning important survival skills and preparing for their winter return trip to New Guinea. They are definitely noisy, but starlings are not nearly as raucously loud as our screeching parrot families, especially the well-known sulphur-crested white cockatoos. But what starlings lack in volume, they make up for in numbers and persistence. When you go in for a closer look, starlings are also much smaller than cockatoos. The adults are mid-sized birds that look identical. They have those startling, bulging red eyes and a full black-coloured body with a distinctive metallic iridescent sheen, a vision of green to purple splendour and glittering, actually, like a glammed-up, badly-dressed 1970s rocker. Hence the name metallic starling. The youngsters are really easy to distinguish inside the colony because they have much paler, clearly visible white chests, but no glitter and definitely no platform shoes. Between September and March, just keep an eye out for regular metallic starling colonies anywhere between Mossman, the Daintree Village and the Daintree River Crossing, all the way up to Cape Tribulation. One regular colony is at the Rainforest Village campground in Dewan. Owners Mark and Janelle are committed starling observers, which I guess makes them sterling starling spotters, and have reported some fascinating behaviour from their local starling mob. Once they saw 20 or so massed around a smooth trunk quandong tree, gripping onto the trunk like grim death, with wings outstretched. So why on earth would they do that? Testing it for grip, perhaps? Now we know that snakes are major starling predators. We also know that some snakes are not great climbers, so maybe the starlings were searching for a slippery, smooth tree trunk for next year's breeding season. Or maybe the behaviour could be traced back to their ancestral relative, the black starling, which grips onto cave and earth walls in a similar way. If you know, or you know someone who can give us a good explanation, we'd love to share it. And here's another quirky behaviour reported at the same colony. Starlings can drop down from their tree houses to the ground backwards with a little flutter of their wings, just like a spider dropping down a silk thread. Yes, backwards, and then they land unsighted but safely on their feet. Fascinating stuff indeed. These guys live at speed or maybe even on speed. The lesson seems to be live, eat and breed quickly build rough, expandable but insecure nests and be prepared to put up with a lot of collateral damage in the process. While they might behave a bit like party animals, metallic starlings are actually very industrious and also have a pretty healthy diet compared with many of our Aussie birds. Because our Australian dominant trees are flowering eucalyptus, acacias, banksia and the like, which contain lots of sugary nectar, Uh, lerps, manna and honeydew, most Aussie birds have a high sugar diet. And too much sugar can make birds noisy, aggressive and territorial. There might even be some lessons here for human parents and kids, but that could be walking on eggshells, so best not to go there. Unlike the sugar eaters, starlings, you see, need stamina as well as strength because they breed frequently and migrate. So they eat lots of insects and seeds, and might even go out on a foraging party for grubs on a nearby lawn. Of course, fruit and some nectar is part of their diet, by the way. They are Aussie birds, after all. Like the famous nutmeg pigeon, they also eat the red mace from the outside of the nutmeg, which provides them with a big 40% protein hit. 
Starlings don't chew like parrots, so when they swallow fruit such as nutmeg, the red mace coating is, is processed or rubbed off in their gizzards, and the brown seeds are then pooped out, a bit like a cassowary or even our domestic chooks, chickens to some people. All this massed colonial feeding means that the base of their nesting tree becomes littered with pooped seeds, pungent smells, broken shells, torn nests and careless chicks. Just like their nests, the ground underneath is jumbled and untidy. It looks like a war zone, but it's also a thriving little ecosystem. And it makes it much easier for researchers to examine their food intake and output. Nighttime predators such as snakes, giant white-tailed rats, even centipedes all enjoy the feast and sometimes each other. It's a real jungle fiesta. In world terms, it's quite unusual for mainly fruit-eating birds to migrate so far, yet we have five species from the Daintree rainforest that fly to and from New Guinea. The other four are the channel-billed cuckoo, the coal, also a cuckoo, the superb fruit dove, and the famous pigeon with many names, the pied imperial, torres strait or nutmeg pigeon, to name a few of them. This balanced high-sugar, high-protein diet is only a small part of the secret behind the incredible starling energy and vitality. What's even more important is the daily rainforest therapy that they enjoy just by being in our tropical Daintree rainforest. <clears throat> it's absolutely true. So you'll do well to follow the starling lead when you immerse yourself in the Daintree for a few nights sleepover, and who knows how well you'll feel afterwards. The possibilities are endless. If you plan to visit the Daintree when our starlings are in residence, make sure you keep an eye and ear open for those noisy starling excursions as soon as you reach the Daintree River Ferry, or on many of your stops after that. Also check out our Darcy of Daintree tours. We always cover some good territory. And thanks for listening to Rainforest Insights with Darcy of Daintree.